Hey, Love Tribe, get excited for another great episode with Chase and our special guest. But before we start, I wanted to remind you about our amazing and free 14-day happy couple challenge. I don't know about you, but with the upcoming holidays, I'm feeling this hectic energy and I'm craving some grounding, fun, and meaningful connection with my partner. So whether you've been with your partner for many years and you're needing to mix things up or you're a newly coupled and you're looking to dive in to learn more about each other, the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge is perfect for anyone wanting to deepen their relationship and have fun while doing it. So head on over to our website to sign up. You can start connecting deeper physically and emotionally today over at idopodcast.com slash 14 with our simple, easy, and doable daily challenges arriving straight into your inbox daily. This free 14-Day Challenge will help you break the old habits and build new engaging habits that will push you to create a deeper intimacy with your partner. Sign up today for free for the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge to start strengthening and improving your relationship today. Head on over to idopodcast.com slash 14. That's idopodcast.com slash 14 to sign up for our free challenge today. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show where I welcome Andre Solo. And Andre is the creator behind SensitiveRefuge.com, which is the world's largest website for sensitive people. And he's the author of Sensitive, the hidden power of the highly sensitive person in a loud, fast, too much world. And Andre is an author, researcher, and speaker, and serves as editor-in-chief of Sensitive Refuge and chief make-it-happen officer of Introvert Deer. And Andre and I talk about what it means to be a highly sensitive person or maybe be with a partner who is highly sensitive and how to navigate that whether it's through daily life or certainly in the context of relationships, which we focus on. And we've never had a whole episode dedicated to this. And I think it's really valuable as someone who I personally feel like I may be towards the highly sensitive side of the spectrum. I know certainly Sarah and I's seven-year-old daughter, Stella, seems to be in this area. So if you or someone in your life is on the 
highly sensitive side of things, or even if you're not, certainly you're going to encounter these kinds of people in daily life. I think uh, Andre says a third of the population would be in the category of highly sensitive. So learn what that is and how it can be a superpower and how to navigate it. You know, again, whether it's for yourself or someone in your life. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Andre. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, Chase. Good to be here. Today, we're going to talk about highly sensitive people. And we're going to talk about how that shows up in relationships. So I thought a good place to start would be having you tell us what exactly it means to be a highly sensitive person, your work in this area, and then we'll dive into how it shows up in relationships. That sounds great. Yeah. So I think when we hear the word sensitive, we often think of maybe being fragile or someone who overreacts. And uh, that is not what sensitive really means. Uh, As a personality trait, Sensitive means that you take in more information from your environment and you respond more to it. And that happens because sensitive people are actually wired at a brain level to process information more deeply. And information here means many things, right? It does mean things like just the sensory data that's coming in. You know, sensitive people will notice tiny little details, little subtle sensations that others miss. Um, They might notice the texture of a fabric. They might pick up on the subtle uh, hints of oak in a Chardonnay, uh, things like that. Um, But information is also emotional. So highly sensitive people tend to be really good at picking up on those tiny social cues and emotional cues that people give off all the time without realizing it. And all of that information is just data that the brain processes. So when you're wired to process it more deeply, you just kind of pick up more out of it. Um, and those two types of sensitive, the physical and emotional, are so closely connected that if you take a, a Tylenol to numb the, the physical pain of a headache, you'll actually score lower for empathy until the Tylenol wears off. So very much one and the same trait. Um, obviously, everyone's sensitive to some degree. We all have a sensitive side. Um, and like most personality traits, sensitivity is a continuum. So most people are sort of average in the middle. Some people are low and some people are high. And all three of those are considered to be normal, healthy traits. But the world is sort of set up more for people who are either average or lower in sensitivity. Um, highly sensitive people tend, who are about 30% of the population. So this is one in three people. Um, so, you know, if you're listening, if it's not you, it's probably, you know, the person that you're, um, you, you work next to at work or your partner, one of your children. Uh, we all know someone who's highly sensitive, even if we're not highly sensitive ourselves. Um, And highly sensitive people tend to experience the world in a sort of more turned up way. And I know that because I am a sensitive person myself and, of course, have been my whole life. And as a kid, I did not know that about myself. I didn't understand that word or or that that's who I was. And so I remember in kindergarten, I was a perfectly good student and I was also, you know, perfectly social and good at making friends. But when recess would roll around, it was just too much. Like all the screaming, the laughing, everyone running everywhere, a million different games going on at once. It became overstimulating. And so I would actually just like run off at recess and disappear. And I found the perfect hiding spot, which was this like little storm drain, like storm sewer, uh, not far from the playground. And that was great because I could go there totally silent, come back after recess until someone figured out where I was hiding. And that was a big problem. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> that was me as a sensitive child. And, you know, really when you grow up sensitive, because it's something that we, you know, we usually hear as a bad thing. Don't be so sensitive. You're being too sensitive. Grow a thicker skin. So you sort of get this idea that there's something wrong with you. And that's sort of what I thought. I was worried there was something wrong with me or, you know, somehow I had this weakness or failing that I had to hide. But it's really because I'm a sensitive person. And once I learned to embrace that and accept it, it turns out it comes with great strengths. It's connected with giftedness. And there are a lot of advantages to being sensitive that uh, less sensitive people don't always have access to. Thank you for that beautiful rundown. Is it an official clinical diagnosis to be highly sensitive? Right. So it's not a diagnosis in the same way that being, say, a visual learner is not a diagnosis or being, uh, you know, good with numbers is not a diagnosis. It's just a different uh, personality or really a temperamental trait, um, you know, that every human has to some degree. Um, But it is a recognized trait. And there's been at this point more than 30 years of research on sensitivity under that term, and then probably 40 plus years, you know, when it was called other things by by researchers before that. So at this point, it's been looked at by biologists, neuroscientists, geneticists, psychologists, um, and we have a pretty good idea of what sensitivity is. Um, we know it is definitely a real trait that you can test for reliably. We have the tools to do that. Um, we can test for it both with a personality test that a person just fills out answers to, and also genetically, which is really fun. Um, And we can also see um, certain brain activity that tends to correlate with uh, higher sensitivity, although, of course, that's a little bit less definite in any given case. Um, So lots of sort of evidence behind it. Um, But more importantly, I think our understanding of it has evolved over time, where early researchers really were looking at, initially they were looking at babies and saying, you know, some babies, even when we make loud noises near them, they're pretty chill about it. But other babies are super reactive and they they might, you know, react to even the smallest thing, just an adult walking by and not saying anything. And sometimes they cry easily. What's up with those babies? And they thought there was something wrong with those kids. And they were trying to get to the bottom of that and slowly over time realized like, oh, they do react more to things. But sometimes they react to things that other people should have reacted to and just missed. Uh, and so slowly, slowly over time, it became understood that this is not, it's not anxiety, it's not depression, it's not being neurotic. Uh, it's just its own trait that comes with these strengths and weaknesses. So so let's talk about how this shows up in relationships. How do people, and welcome to use yourself, um, obviously, you know yourself the best, very curious how this shows up as a challenge, I'm sure, and how it can be navigated. Absolutely. So sensitive people, <laughs> first of all, I'll say it's, I think it's different for sensitive people who are uh, men versus women. Um, it's one in three people across the board, both men and women score high for sensitivity. But I think depending on your gender identity, you tend to view your sensitivity very differently. And one part of that is, of course, men are just told not to be sensitive, right? You kind of want to hide it about yourself. Um, whereas the problem for women is that they're told not to be too sensitive. Uh, so it's sort of a stigma either way, but slightly different. Um, and for men, I think the things that you might notice about yourself and, and sort of brag about, so to speak, are things that we don't always realize are part of being sensitivity. So, for example, um, part of being sensitive, of course, is the warm, fuzzy stuff. Sensitive people do score higher for empathy on average. They're very good at reading people, things like that. Um, but part of sensitivity is also that physical attunement. It's what we call sensory intelligence. 
Um, and that means things like noticing a little rustling in the bushes that no one else noticed, which could be helpful if you're hunting. It's very helpful if you're in the military and you're detecting what might be an ambush. Um, sensory intelligence is very much what we call situational awareness, which is something we train for both in the military and in law enforcement and also in ER and hospital settings where life and death decisions have to be made and you don't want to overlook something like a change in the patient's breathing. Um, so those are the types of things that men might, you know, notice about themselves more. And it might take a little longer to sort of think like, well, maybe I do also have stronger emotional reactions. I just hide them, but I seem to feel very strongly compared to other men. Um, for women, I think it's much more acceptable to show that empathetic side and to show that emotional intelligence that sensitive people often have. Um, and those, you know, those stronger emotions are sometimes more acceptable as well. So it's a little bit different for men or women. But no matter who you are, if you're a sensitive person in a relationship, the biggest thing that drives you is a close, deep sense of connection with your partner. That's important to everyone, of course, but I think for sensitive people, that's a non-negotiable or it should be a non-negotiable. It's maybe the number one thing that's going to determine your happiness in a relationship is just whether your partner is, is connecting with you in a deep way. And by that, I mean having deep conversations where you're really exploring topics together. You're talking about your, your views on things. You're willing to gently and kindly disagree with each other and talk out philosophic questions. Um, you're kind of asking the, the bigger questions, not just about like the universe, but also about things in, in your day to day life, right? It's, you know, you know, that PTA meeting seemed off. What do we think about this new committee that was formed? You're like really getting into the nitty gritty and not just like, well, all right, sounds like a good, uh, we'll, we'll sign off on that. Um, so that deeper connection through conversation, but also through activities together, um, through really sharing important parts of each other's lives. It's great to have separate hobbies as two different partners. You do not have to have the same hobbies as your partner if you're sensitive, but you'll probably take a deeper interest in their hobbies and you'll probably want them to do the same thing for you. So all those ways of developing sort of a deeper, more emotional connection and ultimately then supporting each other's growth because sensitive people are very oriented around constantly improving, constantly growing themselves. Uh, it's one of the greatest strengths of sensitive people is that they can get more of a boost uh, from the, the, the sort of positive support that helps anybody kind of grow and develop as a person. And so we're very oriented around that. We want our partner to be as well. So we support your growth and we need you to support our growth. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Hey, Love Tribe, I have just a few questions for you. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show. And we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner and have an amazing time doing it. 
We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We touch on this concept in our episodes frequently. We're better able to show up as our best selves in relationships when our bodies and minds are in a state of harmony. PMS and perimenopause throw a wrench in that whole state of harmony thing. Many women in our community have seen their relationships and their own mental health suffer when PMS and perimenopause symptoms set in. Our sponsor, Happy Mammoth, saw that there was no effective nature-inspired solutions to these issues, so they made one, Estro Control. Relationship Advice listeners can now get 15% off your first order on happymammoth.com with our promo code IDO at checkout. Estro Control is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health. The way Estro Control eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients help support the liver, and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when estrogen isn't processed well in our liver, women may start having PMS symptoms like spots on the skin, cravings, and feeling low all of a sudden. Estro Control was created to help women feel like themselves throughout the whole month. Estro Control is made specifically for women who are premenopausal. It's really great for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can become especially rough. PMS has been a constant challenge throughout my life, from feeling down to sleeplessness to just not feeling comfortable in my own skin. PMS has put me through the ringer time and time again, and I know it's not just me. I've seen my relationship suffer in those times when PMS takes over. Estro Control works to relieve many of those consuming PMS symptoms, helping us regain control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first month at happymammoth.com with the promo code I do at checkout. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H dot com and use the promo code I do for 15% off your first order. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here do in, it, in the it, sense yeah. of, you know, I actually, I'm very curious myself if I would score on highly sensitive because I'm resonating with a lot of the things they're saying. I've noticed it in myself since I was a child. It certainly shows up as an adult. So personally, you know, through my self-development that I'm so interested in, as you just alluded to, maybe highly sensitive people are, I've realize that it's important to recognize these things, but that sometimes if I'm, let's say, triggered or uh, something my partner does bothers me, it's not always the most productive thing to to immediately take it to them, you know, and we talk about it on this show all the time of boundaries and communication. So let's just say I am a highly sensitive person, a highly sensitive person listening. How do we draw that line between, you know, respecting 
our sensitivities or someone who's a partner with someone who's highly sensitive, like respecting them, but also making sure that we kind of handle our own feelings to, to an extent, because, you know, it's, I don't think it's controversial to say every time we're a little bit upset to not take that to our partner, you know, that that's not healthy. So I think you, you get what I'm alluding to. So how, how can we navigate that in, in the realm of high sensitivity? That's a, that's a terrific question. I've never been asked that before, and I love that. Um, so that taps into, I think, both one of the greatest strengths and one of the greatest weaknesses that, that sensitive people live with, right? So we have this mind that does deep processing. We tend to be deep thinkers and deep feelers. And the cost of that mind is overstimulation. If your mind is always putting more resources, more effort into every piece of data coming in, you can get overwhelmed easily in situations that are chaotic, crowded, loud, noisy, or emotionally intense. Uh, and we have to learn to live with that as sensitive people. And moreover, we have to learn to put things in place in our lives so that we're not getting that overstimulation. And overstimulation can, just like sensitivity itself, it can be sensory. You're getting exhausted and, and having a hard time focusing because of all the distractions. But overstimulation can also be emotional overload. You have too much emotional input coming in, your own emotions are spiking, and you sort of have a threat response where you just can't really handle it in the moment. Uh, at least not in a helpful way. So we need to know that about ourselves. And part of it is to put sort of those preventative measures in place. Um, part of that might be even selecting a partner who's going to not be uh, really a high conflict person or too aggressive when there is conflict and who's going to also respect that you do need to talk about your emotions. But assuming you're with a reasonably healthy partner who respects you, um, one of the best things we can do as sensitive people is build downtime into our lives, by which I mean time either each day or at a certain time of day when it's reserved for sitting and just being able to process. And that looks different for different sensitive people. For some, it's journaling. For some, it's listening to music. For some, it's total silence and like looking out the window at the beautiful trees moving in the wind. Um, for me, it's oftentimes uh, more of a semi-active thing, right? I might be listening to music and kind of daydreaming and thinking things through at the same time, or even pacing the room while I do that. But we need a quiet place where we can just process and let our mind kind of work through all the stuff it's brought in, do that deep processing, make the deep connections it's good at making, where we start to see things that we didn't see at first and that others might not see. And that can solve a lot of the problems in a relationship, even before you have to talk to your partner, right? Because you sort of process through the emotions. You can already tell, oh, well, maybe I was being a little unreasonable about this. So you don't have to go through a fight about that. You can just acknowledge that up front um, and still then maybe address the other thing that you need from your partner. Um, so give yourself that time. And the way you do that is you have to have a policy both with yourself and I think really also that you talk about with your partner that you could call it a timeout policy, uh, but where if you're starting to get into a heated moment, if things are starting to get tense, or maybe they're not yet, but you can feel on the inside that you're starting to get emotional and starting to escalate a little bit internally, where you can say to your partner, hey, uh, I need to take a break. I need to take a timeout. And that both partners have to know in advance that that doesn't mean I'm going to walk out of the room and now we're not going to talk about it. That means I'm going to walk out of the room and we won't talk about this right now, but I'll think about it. And, you know, tomorrow we'll schedule time to talk about it or we'll, we'll you know, talk about it over breakfast or whatever it might be. You can work out how exactly that works, but there has to be sort of a commitment, you know, that both people know you're not blowing me off. 
will get to talk about it because they they care too, right? They're also getting escalated for a reason. It's important to them or, or there's something that they need as well as you. Um, so we need to be fair to our partners that way. But by communicating that in advance, we can take that time and sort of allow our emotions to process and then come at it much more calmly. It seems like taking an inventory of ourselves or I'll have you share later, you know, the online quizzes to understand our sensitivity. And I'm sure someone listening, you know, like I said, like I have a hunch that I'm highly sensitive, but I'm, I'm curious if, it, you know, exactly if I would score that. But to understand that for ourselves so we can do things like take the pause and also, you know, even if we're not highly sensitive, that's valuable, but to understand how our partner moves to the world and that we're each sharing this because then that can create more empathy and understanding. Because if you have a partner who's not sensitive at all and then you're highly sensitive, they can be like, hey, what the heck? You know, I just raised my voice just a little bit. I didn't yell and they get really frustrated and they think that maybe you're you're stonewalling or shutting down when reality is, is you just are overstimulated and maybe you don't even understand that about yourself. So it can be extremely valuable in all aspects of a relationship to understand ourselves, you know, intimately. And this is certainly a, a big area. Absolutely. Yeah. I think getting to know your partner that way and knowing their preferences and their needs and communicating, that's key to just about any relationship. And it really is going to go even farther for sensitive people. And I think something you said too stands out at me. Sensitive people, as you said, could end up being with a partner who is not sensitive at all. They might be average sensitivity, which will be most people you ever date, or they might be even on the low end of the sensitivity continuum. And none of those are a bad combination. Sensitive people don't have to exclusively be partnered with other sensitive people. There's pros and cons both ways. A lot of sensitive people end up in a really healthy, happy relationship with someone who is average or lower in sensitivity. And that person feels like a rock to them. It feels like something very grounding. And the sensitive person then feels like sort of this sort of um, wonderful presence in the other person's life because they bring that warmth and all this color and this creativity that maybe the other person admires but doesn't personally, uh, it's not personally part of you know their, their tool set, so to speak. Um, it can be a really good complementary relationship, but then you do have to put even more time into getting to know what works for each of you. So yeah. Conflict seems like an area that, highly sensitive people, of course, are going to struggle. And we alluded to that with, you know, maybe taking a break or communicating with your partner so that your partner can have more empathy and respect there. Are there any other areas or maybe it's conflict that there's some specific tools or practices that would be helpful for someone either with a highly sensitive person or if you're highly sensitive yourself? Absolutely. So I think you you put your finger on one of them. Conflict is a very important thing. Uh, sensitive people need to be aware that we do not handle conflict well. Uh, or maybe I should say we don't handle intense conflict well. We're perfectly capable of disagreeing with someone, of standing up for our boundaries, of speaking up for our needs and having a conversation about that. Um, but when conflict becomes what we think of as conflict in a lot of movies and unfortunately a lot of real life relationships where it's escalating, people are getting tense and then maybe loud and then maybe saying things they'll regret later. That is, uh, very, very hard for high, highly sensitive people. Um, we are high empathy beings. We're picking up on your feelings to start with. You don't have to yell your feelings for us to notice them. Um, and I say that coming from a family where everybody in my family yells to express their feelings. And I'm, I'm very loud. I will, I don't yell at people, but I get very loud and kind of excited, right? Um, 
And so I, it's something I have to notice about myself as well. But regardless of how you get into a situation like that, it is hard for highly sensitive people. Gentle conflict is key. Uh, and finding ways both yourself to not escalate conflict and also working with your partner. I think it's really good for highly sensitive people not to wait until there's a big problem in the relationship to start couples therapy. I think of couples therapy as preventative maintenance, just routine maintenance, right? If you're in a relationship long enough where you might go on a weekend trip together, you probably should also be saying, hey, we love each other. Let's set up a good couples therapist that we see just once a month or once every two weeks, you know, and just kind of check in. And you build those tools together to avoid conflict becoming a sticking point. Um, The other thing, though, is that I think this is probably the biggest thing highly sensitive people themselves talk about is it's very easy for a highly sensitive person to end up being the one who always looks out for the needs of the partner and doesn't necessarily put their own needs first as much as they ought to. I know that in previous episodes, you've talked about, you know, what you call shock absorbers in a relationship, the person who just sort of absorbs all the problems and issues and tries to deal with them and make them all right. And then that creates a situation where other people like that, but they, other people don't have an incentive to fix those problems and don't necessarily think of what they need to do to absorb some shock for, for that person. Um, I think that's often the situation sensitive people find themselves in because we are high empathy. We we don't need any added incentive to want to make our partners happy. We just see that they want something really, oh, I want to make that work for you. And, you know, different sensitive people with different love languages will do that differently. Um, but you know, mine is active service, right? So I'm going to, oh, you, oh, you're having a problem with that. I'll just go solve it. And I'll come back and like, oh, look, it's fixed. And like, you'll hope you'll love that. Um, other people might do other things. Um, but we we do go out of our way to do that for our partners. And we like doing it. We take sincere joy in it. We're not doing it just so that the other person will reciprocate. But we can easily fall into a pattern where the person doesn't reciprocate. And we also become, become sort of, I think, easy targets for people who might be a higher conflict or a little bit higher on the narcissism scale or would otherwise just not have an innate sense of I need to give as good as I get. So, you know, a lot of other people might push that person away, might draw a firm boundary. Sensitive people often have to learn about boundaries, sometimes the hard way. Uh, and you don't want to learn the hard way. You want to learn by by paying attention to yourself, knowing what your own needs are. When you're taking that daily downtime to process, maybe you do a meditation and think about, you know, your purpose in life and what you need to accomplish that. Or maybe you take some time to center on how you were feeling yesterday and, you know, how much of that needs to be addressed. But um, one way or another, you need to look at your own needs. You need to find a way to calmly and, and, you know, nicely speak up for them, but to be firm about them as well and not just be the only person in the relationship who uh, provides for the other's needs. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Is there any kind of correlation between anxious attachment and highly sensitive people? Because it, it, it sounds like a lot of the things, like you said, like the pleasing and I'm just and personally kind of feeling like there there might be a lot of overlap there. Right. So I, I don't think that there's any evidence to suggest a link between those two things. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some link, but I, I would be really careful about that. So to give just a, a kind of a related example, just anxiety in general, um, sensitivity itself was was early on kind of confused with, well, these must be highly anxious people. They're just worriers. That's not the case. Um, and we know from 
quite a few different uh, psycho- psychological tests that people who test high for sensitivity don't necessarily test higher for neuroticism and vice versa. There is some correlation there. On average, they score a little bit higher, um, but they're definitely two distinct traits and there's plenty of sensitive people who don't score that high for neuroticism. Um, similarly, not all sensitive people have high level levels of anxiety, nor do they necessarily have a, a higher rate of anxiety in general across sensitive people. Um, the genes that well, I should say one of the many, many, many genes involved in making someone highly sensitive uh, is the uh, the CERT gene, which involves our serotonin reuptake. It's the same gene that, um, well, the same process that a lot of our anti-anxiety and anti-depression meds sort of target. Um, this gene, this particular gene variant, uh, was believed for a long time to increase the risks of anxiety or depression. And it wasn't until these large scale sort of genetic studies were done where we realized, well, most of Asia has a higher rate of this gene than most of North America, but North America has higher anxiety levels than most of Asia. So what gives? The gene's obviously not causing the anxiety. Eventually we realized that this is actually a social responsiveness gene. This gene makes you more responsive to your environment in general, particularly social support networks. What that means is if you're in an environment with no support, you're going to be more likely than other people to get anxiety in that same environment. And on the other hand, if you're in a supportive environment, uh, sensitive people, I wouldn't call them anxiety proof, but it's about as close as you can get. <laughs> you know, Other people can still end up anxious in a supportive environment. Sensitive people, very unlikely. And so we have that sort of like better outcomes one way and worse outcomes the other way. Anyway, bringing all that back to your question. As children, sensitive people actually become more sensitive in two types of environments, really bad environments, right? Really abusive environments where, of course, the sensitivity helps because you're more alert, you're more aware, you're picking up, oh, I think that's going to cause dad to yell. But we also become more sensitive in the really good environments, the ones where you have supportive parents who are emotionally nurturing and emotionally expressive and helping coach you through things. Why? Because being more responsive to an environment that's giving you lots of resources means you're getting even more benefit out of the resources. So people become more sensitive as kids in those two types of environments. And most people, of course, including most sensitive people, have a middle-of-the-road average childhood that's neither one of those. Um, But you'll become a little more sensitive in either of those. And so I think there probably are more sensitive people who have an anxious attachment. I wouldn't be surprised if there's also more sensitive people who are just uh, what's the healthy one, the healthy attachment secure. style? Secure, secure just uh-huh. securely attached. I would picture it going a little more both ways with maybe a little less of the other options. Uh, it's so fascinating, the genetic study and, and all of this stuff. And there's so many ways to slice it. And we're, we're never going to know exactly what makes a person how they are. But certainly doing the work ourselves, taking an inventory, maybe taking this test to see if we rank highly sensitive or like I said, I, I think if you're listening, like, you know, you know, to an extent, I think it could be maybe used. I don't want to say maliciously, but I want to know your opinion because I'm seeing a thing, you know, where someone is just always triggered in a relationship. They're not dealing with their own stuff and processing it. And they're like, well, I'm highly sensitive, you know, so deal with it. Um, what, what, right, would right. You, what would you say about a situation like that? Right. Well, I'd say for starters that it's, I think it's most often that the highly sensitive person finds themselves on the other end of that equation where, you know, the, the crazy make, they're, they're the target of the crazy making or manipulative person because they do have that high empathy. With that said, 
there's no personality trait in existence that makes you always a good person or always a healthy person. Of course, there are sensitive people who are unhealthy in relationships. Um, as a sensitive person, I would say this. The most important thing you can do for yourself is to embrace and accept your sensitivity. When you do that, you're able to unlock the gifts that sensitivity has. And there's many, right? You're higher in creativity, higher in empathy. You have that sensory intelligence. Um, so many gifts that come with, with creativity, ability to read people, and, and just it's a powerful trait. Um, it's also linked with giftedness, and it's also uh, when you use it properly, when you, when you learn to curate your environment and give yourself that supportive environment that not all of us have as kids, it still works as an adult. Sensitive people will uh, perform better than others when given almost any kind of support. So that could be therapy, that could be career training, that could be a mentoring situation. Um, a particularly interesting study is that uh, researchers took uh, several hundred couples that were uh, having marital problems and gave all of them the same intervention, sort of a therapy intervention of couples therapy to help them try to save their marriage. And then after the fact, they tested them also for their personalities, including their sensitivity. The couples that had a sensitive person in them were more likely to save their marriage after receiving the couples therapy than the other couples. So you have a lot of strengths going into a relationship, but you have to start by accepting and embracing your sensitivity. If it's something you're embarrassed of, if it's something you try to hide, if it's something you downplay, you won't be able to unlock those strengths and you won't feel like a whole person. Once you've embraced them, then the journey really starts. And there will be times when maybe you're tempted to just say, well, I'm a highly sensitive person. I can't deal with that. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't change your essential responsibility to your partner. You have a responsibility to be good to them, to leave them better than you found them, to nurture their needs and to help them grow as a person as well as, as they have that same responsibility to you. So I think as sensitive people, we often ask our partners to accept that we might need to not talk about this right now and take time to think first. I remember uh, telling one of my former partners, uh, you know, if, if you if you come to me and I'm getting really stubborn about something and disagreeing and pushing back, and I try to exit the room. I try to like, give me some time here because uh, she would want to kind of continue. She would want resolution, which I understand. I can relate to that as well. Uh, but I said, if you give me some time, I, I'll come back to you the next day. And I promise you, 80% of the time, I'm just going to say, yeah, let's do it your way. That's fine. <laughs> I thought about it. It's not a big deal. Let's just do it that way. Uh, you know, it's going to work out fine. Just give me a little bit of time. If not, then we'll talk about it. Um, so, you know, we want our partners to learn those things about us, but we also have to learn things. We might have to learn that, like, our partner doesn't feel good at having emotional conversations. They just don't know what to do with them. They don't know how to express their own emotions that well. And they they don't necessarily know what to say when when we express our emotions. And that's not bad either. That's no better or worse than being sensitive. That's just the way they were raised and their personality. Uh, so we have to make allowances for that and, and think of sensitivity as a gift that we have. But it doesn't mean that people who are less sensitive are somehow bad. We need to learn their, their language as well. I think that is a great place to wrap up, Andre. You've covered a lot. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's really valuable for our listeners as well. Before we wrap up, I want you to tell our listeners where they can find you online. And if there's anything that we skipped over or maybe that you want to emphasize, and then we'll say goodbye. That sounds great. Absolutely. So you can find us online at Sensitive Refuge. That's our website. It's the world's largest website for sensitive people, founded by myself and my co-author, Jen Graneman, uh, sensitiverefuge.com. 
Uh, you can also find us at, at Sensitive Refuge on just about every platform. And our new book is coming out February 28th, available for pre-order now, everywhere books are sold. The book is Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. Beautiful. And is there anything you want to emphasize or maybe that we skipped over? You wrapped it up so beautifully, so don't feel pressured to find anything there. I would say that most sensitive people, we go our whole lives hearing to not be so sensitive. We've already tried not sensitive. We've seen where that gets the world. We've seen the aggression, the war, the conflict, the political polarization, the people just being mean to each other. I think the world could stand to be a little bit more sensitive. And I think you should remember that about yourself. Well, thank you for that. And we'll have all those links in our show notes and on our website at idopodcast.com. And thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge, we really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.